so we're heading into Christmas season, and we thought we would take four weeks to study what does Matthew describe about Jesus' birth? What does Matthew's gospel teach us about the birth of Jesus Christ? And when we open up Matthew, start reading in Matthew chapter 1, we notice that the way he sets the stage for Jesus' birth is by describing Jesus' genealogy. And so we're going to work through this genealogy. Now, you might think genealogies are boring, and they kind of are sometimes, but not genealogies in the Bible. Because genealogies in the Bible, remember, every word of the Bible is God's very words. God chose to have Matthew, in this case, write this genealogy because there are certain truths about Jesus that God wants to teach us through this genealogy. I hope you'll see that after, after we open this passage up tonight. And so we want to honor the Holy Spirit's work of giving Matthew these words, giving Matthew this teaching, by looking closely at this genealogy and ask the question, why did God have Matthew open up his gospel with a genealogy? What does God want us to learn from this? What's, what's important for us to see about Jesus from this genealogy? And I'll just tell you ahead of time what I think the answer is, and then we'll read it through. I think as we read this through, you'll see that what Matthew wants us to understand is that Jesus is the son of David and that Jesus is the son of Abraham. Two crucial truths about Jesus. So follow along with me as I'm going to read this through. There's lots of names here. We want to honor the Lord by reading his word. So let's start with verse 1, and you'll see how the emphasis is on Jesus, the son of David, and Jesus, the son of Abraham. Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. That's the exile after Israel had sinned. God warned them this, this would happen. Verse 12, And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, 
and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. It's a lot of names there, right? We did it. But now let this impact us. I think one crucial truth from this, just to have in the back of our minds as we think about genealogies, is that Jesus is not a once upon a time story. This is not a fairy tale. This is history, real flesh and blood people. So-and-so the father of so-and-so the father of so-and-so the father of so-and-so the father of Jesus. Jesus is a real flesh and blood man, fully man and fully God. So we want to ask the question, what are the main points of this genealogy? And we saw it right there at verse 1. Let's read that verse again. Matthew emphasizes two of Jesus' ancestors. Verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Notice how that's emphasized again in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, just a side note here. In the Bible, generations don't give, uh, the genealogies don't give all the generations that take place. They pick and choose which generations they're going to mention which ones they're going to highlight because the ones that they choose to mention are going to communicate particular truths. And the fact that Matthew structures this genealogy into three 14-generation sections, highlighting Abraham first and then David, shows that he wants us to understand Jesus is the son of Abraham and Jesus is the son of David. Now, this week we're going to focus on what does it mean for Jesus to be the son of Abraham? Next week, we'll look at the son of David. So this week, what does it mean that Jesus is the son of Abraham? What's the big deal? Why is this so important? I mean, you might think, well, I mean, every Jewish man is the son of Abraham, right? That's what it means to be Jewish. Genetically, every single Jewish man is born ultimately from Abraham, but Matthew is talking about something much more than that. Much more. The Old Testament talks about one particular son of Abraham. who is they prophet, The Old Testament prophesies he will be born. He will come in their future. They were looking ahead to that. And, and this one particular son of Abraham is going to have a crucial role in God's plan for the world. I want to show you this by having us go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. I want you to look at Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He's called Abram here because God hasn't yet changed his name. Abram grew up in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is right in the area of Babylon. Joshua 24 tells us that Abram was an idol worshiper. So here's Abram, idol worshiper, but one day God 
changes Abraham's heart, reveals himself to Abraham. Abraham knows this is the real God. What have I been doing? And he turns from his sin. He trusts God. He embraces God as his treasure, as his hope, as his comfort, as his strength. And he starts living by faith in the true God. And look at what God says to him in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. That's the people of Israel, right? I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abram, all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth shall be blessed blessed. Now, why is that so important? Let me give you a picture of what's happened so far in the book of Genesis, if we can kick that up here. There it is. Look at that beautiful picture. Okay. Genesis 1 and 2, follow along with me. God created. He created the universe, perfect planet Earth, the beautiful Garden of Eden, And he created Adam and Eve so that they could have the heart-filling joy of knowing God, fellowshipping with God, trusting God, worshiping God. Genesis 1 and 2, God created. Then, tragically, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. And all humanity comes under God's curse. What happens here is that Adam and Eve do what we have all done rebelled against God, turned away from God, sinned. And as a result, they and all of humanity, because we've all done the same thing, have come under God's curse against sin. Humanity's cut off from God because of that curse. And we've all faced punishment forever from God because of that curse. So you start with God creates, and then sin and sin spreads through the world. And then Genesis 4 through 11, the curse of sin fills the earth. Now in mercy, God changes Adam and Eve's hearts, so they turn back to God. And and there are some godly people through the course of Genesis 4 through 11. There's Abel, and there's Seth, and there's Enoch, and there's Noah, and there's others. But mostly, through Genesis 4 through 11, what we see is this growing curse of sin filling the earth. Violence, idolatry, wickedness, and it all culminates with the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And when you read Genesis 4 through 11, it's like by the time you get to chapter 11, all there is is the curse of sin in the world. That's, that's what it feels like when you get to the end of chapter 11. So what will God do next is the big question for the readers of Genesis in chapter 11. And that's why what God says to Abraham is so stunning. End of, Gen- end of verse 3, look at that again. In You, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You've all sinned. You're all under the curse justly. But Abram, in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? 
Let's start with that word families, which could be misunderstood. We might think it means a father and a mother and some children. And it could mean that, but the Hebrew word translated here as families has a broader meaning. It can mean that kind of family, but it can also mean clans, tribes, larger groups. And I think that's what God is saying here, because notice how God restates this same idea in Genesis chapter 18, verse 18. We'll have it up on the screen. Genesis 18, 18. Look at what God says. He's restating what he said back in chapter 12 to Abraham. And God says, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So here the word nations is used, which shows that the word families has that broader meaning, clans, tribes, ethnic groups, language groups, cultural groups, people groups. So what God is saying here is that even though the world is completely under God's curse and justly so, through Abraham, God is going to bring his blessing to every nation, tongue, and tribe. All the people groups are going to be touched by God's blessing. That's what God is saying. Remember, the whole world has been under God's curse, guilty in their sin, enslaved to the power of sin, cut off from God because of their sin. And God is their all-satisfying treasure. They're cut off from God and facing judgment forever. That's the curse. And to be cursed and to be blessed are opposites. So what, what does it mean to be blessed? In you, Abram, all the people groups of the earth are going to be blessed. Blessed how? What does that mean to be blessed? God's going to bless every clan, tribe, people group. That means people from every clan, every tribe, every people group are going to be freed from the curse. Freed from the guilt of sin. Freed from the power of sin. Restored into the joy of knowing God totally forgiven so they never are going to face God's judgment ever. Forever they'll have the joy of knowing God. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. And God says, through you, Abram, every nation, tongue, tribe, clan, people group is going to experience that blessing. Freedom from sin's guilt, freedom from sin's power, restored into the heart-filling joy of knowing God, forgiven, no condemnation, no judgment, no curse ever. That's coming through Abram. Read verse 12, the end of verse 3 again. Chapter 12, the end of verse 3. In you, Abram. How's this going to happen? In you, Abram. You, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Somehow God's going to use Abram to do this. So what does Abram do? How does that happen? The answer is in Genesis 22, verse 18, where God restates this again with some different words. Look at how he puts it here. Genesis 22, 18. He's talking to Abram. In your offspring, Abram, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So the way God is going to bring his blessing to people from every nation, tongue, and tribe is through Abram's Offspring. That's what Abraham does is he has a child. And the rest of the Old Testament shows that this is a boy. It's a son. Abram's going to have the son of Abraham. Great, 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 great grandson. And it's through the son 
of Abraham. The Messiah is the other word form used in the Old Testament. The Messiah, the son of Abram. That God is going to free people from every nation, tongue, and tribe from the curse and bring people from every nation, tongue, and tribe into his blessing. Beautiful. So here's the picture of Genesis. See the whole development. Genesis 1 and 2, God created. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. Humanity comes under God's curse. Genesis 4 through 11, the curse fills the earth. But Genesis 12, breathtaking mercy. God promises his blessing for people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, all peoples, through the son of Abraham. The son of Abraham. So just imagine, you're an Old Testament Jew, okay? You're studying the scriptures. You're reading Genesis. You know the earth is under God's curse. You see it in evidence all around you, under God's curse. But you know that God has promised to free people from every clan, every tribe, every people group, from the curse and bring them into God's blessing through one of Abraham's sons. You know that you're studying, you see that. Genesis 12, 3, it's right there. And you know from other scriptures that this son of Abraham is also called the Messiah. He would be born of a virgin from the book of Isaiah. He would be born in Bethlehem, prophesied in the book of Micah, and that he would die, according to Isaiah 53, he would be punished and die for sin, paying for the guilt of sin. And that he will then, as a result, forgive and free and restore to God people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. So here, you're you're a Jewish man, a Jewish woman studying the scriptures. Think of how, when you're seeing all this, you'd be waiting for the son of Abraham right? Yearning for the son of Abraham, longing for the son of Abraham, praying, Father, send the son of Abraham. And then think of how it would have impacted you the first time you, Matthew's gospel, you unroll the scroll and you start reading in verse one of chapter one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Feel that? See, that's what it means, that Jesus is the son of Abraham. That's why Matthew wants to put such focus in this. It's like the the highlight of chapter one, or one of them is son of Abraham. This is who Jesus is, the Jesus that's born. God had told Abraham that one of his offspring, through one of his offspring, he would bring the blessing of freedom from sin's guilt, freedom from sin's power, restoration to God is your all-satisfying joy, free from the curse, never punishment. God will do this through the offspring of Abraham. And that's Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Merry Christmas, Grace Church. The son of Abraham has come. Now, this does raise another question. How does Jesus free us from the curse and bring us God's blessing. How does he do that? And that is not answered in Matthew chapter 1, but it is powerfully answered by Paul in Galatians chapter 3, 13 and 14. Let's look at these verses. How does Jesus free us from the curse and bring us God's blessing? Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Look at what Paul says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. There it is 
by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Think of the cross there, the tree. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, there it is, Genesis 12, 3, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. It's not just to the Jews, Jews and Gentiles, it's to all peoples, so that we might receive the promised Spirit, the Holy Spirit, through faith. So see, there it is, the blessing of Abraham. Paul talks about it right here. So how does Jesus bring us the blessing of Abraham? It's by redeeming us from the curse of the law. This is what our Jesus did. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law could be summarized with the first commandment, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. You should be captured completely with love for God. He is your greatest joy, your highest delight, your deepest passion. God, you're glorious. Love God that way. That's the summary of the the law. And every one of us has broken that law. Haven't we? By turning our backs on God to seek our joy, our pleasure in other things, money, power, other religions, popularity, the list just goes on and on. But none of these, none of these can even come close to comparing to the joy of knowing God. Can't even come close. But we've all turned our backs on God to seek them. We've all broken the law. And we've all been under God's curse. Have you seen that? Have you owned up to the reality of the fact that you have been under the curse of God? So we've all been under the curse of the law. But Jesus redeems us from the curse of the law. How? Amazing statement. By becoming a curse for us. Becoming a curse for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of the law. He took upon himself the curse deserved by sin. He took that upon himself. So what that means is because you're trusting Jesus, those of you who are trusting Jesus, because you are trusting him, you can know that the curse that you have been under because of your sin was poured out upon Jesus. That curse was poured out upon Jesus. Jesus suffered the punishment of that curse on the cross. He paid for that curse by his death, by his hanging on that tree. And by doing that, Jesus freed you from the curse of the law. Freed. You were under the curse. Nothing you could do about it. And now you are freed from the curse of the law. What did you do? It's what Jesus did is what's important. He became a curse for us. I mean, picture this. Jesus Christ, fully God, equal to God the Father, God the Spirit in every way, one God, three persons, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, humbles himself to be born of Mary, laid in a manger, grows up as a man. This is fully God in the flesh, and God became a curse for us. 
Look at the love of Jesus Christ. Look at the compassion of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the cross here. Do you know what he experienced on the cross? This was the curse of the law coming upon him that we deserved. Look at Jesus, the son of Abraham, and what he did. So because you're trusting Jesus, you have been freed from the curse of the law because Jesus became a curse for us. But not only that, also, Galatians 3, because you've been redeemed from the curse of the law, you received the blessing of Abraham. You've received the blessing of Abraham, and that is summed up by Paul as receiving the promised spirit through faith. You've received the promised Holy Spirit. Read verse 14 again. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So because we're redeemed from the curse of the law, we've received the most precious gift in the universe, the third person of the Trinity to indwell us, the precious promised Holy Spirit. J.I. Packer says that the, the Holy Spirit's job is to make the presence of God the Father and the presence of Jesus the Son real to us in our hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit's job is. So that we will have times as, as followers of Christ, as we're worshiping, as we're fellowshipping with each other, as we're reading the scriptures, as we're praying, we'll have times where we feel God's very love, his real love pouring into our hearts. Oh, Lord, it's you. Thank you. We'll have times where we see Jesus' glory filling our hearts, the joy of beholding Jesus' glory, feeling, tasting, beholding his glory. Your glory is Jesus Christ. There'll be times where our all of our heart thirsts, all of our heart hungers are completely satisfied. We don't need anything else because the Holy Spirit is making God the Father, Jesus the Son, so real to us. Because you've been freed from the curse of the law, you've received the blessing of Abraham, which Paul summarizes as the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. Merry Christmas. The Son of Abraham has come, and this is what he's done for us. Jesus is the son of Abraham who frees people from every nation, tongue, and tribe from the curse, brings them into God's blessing through his death on the cross. So one more question. How can we get in on that? How can we get in on that? And as I was thinking about this, it just struck me that every single one of us in this room is either under God's curse or under God's blessing. There's no middle ground. There's no halfway. It's one or the other. The other or the one. Every one of us right now, you are either under God's curse or you're under God's blessing. So what can we do to get out from under God's curse and to and to move into God's blessing? And the answer is the last two words of Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. Let's read that verse again. Don't miss these precious last two words. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. 
through faith. That's how we move from being under the curse to moving to being in God's blessing. It's through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting all that God promises us in him. That's how we move from one to the other. Now, don't miss this. It's not by us trying to be good enough to make up for our sin. That's man-made religion talking. It's not God's word talking. God's word never says that. It's impossible. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by going to church or taking communion or being baptized. Because you can do any of those without faith, right? If you do them without faith, they matter nothing. You're still under the curse. Do you understand that? It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by meditating or by practicing mindfulness or any other kind of spiritual practices. There's only one way to move out from under the curse and move into the the blessing of God. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting all that God promises us in him. Are you trusting all that God promises you in Christ? I want to make a list here so you can see this is just such good news. Here is what God promises us. He promises to forgive us through Christ. Complete forgiveness, past sin, present sin, future sin. That's all sin forgiven. Oh, that's stunning. The older I get, the more I realize what an amazing gift that is to me personally. It's it's unbelievable, except that it's what Jesus said. It's what the Bible teaches. Forgive us through Christ. He will satisfy us through Christ. All the different heart hungers and thirsts that we have as human beings, insecurities and fears and discouragements and hopelessness and frustrations about this and bitterness about that, all the different, the presence of Jesus Christ experienced by the Holy Spirit, looking at his love, seeing his strength, seeing his sovereignty, seeing his gentleness, his tenderness, his compassion, his love. When you know Jesus Christ, your heart will be completely filled with him. He'll give us times where we are, we say with David, whom have I in heaven but you and besides you I desire nothing on earth because I have you. You are everything. He'll satisfy us in Christ. He'll change us through Christ. Listen, it makes no difference how far you feel from God. It makes no difference how weak your faith is or non-existent your faith is. It doesn't make any difference. Jesus, help me. He will move in. Remember, the, I love the prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. He will do that. So Jesus will change us. All we bring to the table is our sin. Take this sin, help me. And he will move in and he will wash you clean and give you a new heart and give you faith. This is what he will do. He promises to comfort us through Christ. The different heartbreaks that we have, the different sadnesses that we've experienced, the hurts we've felt, and the love of Christ pouring into our heart heals. All of that heals it. You don't forget about it. doesn't make it not important, but he heals it. He redeems it. He promises to guide us through Christ. Some of you are facing some big, big decisions. He always will promise to guide us. He will always guide us as we seek him. 
He'll give us power over temptation. Temptation's hard. He'll give us power. He'll help us. He'll provide for us. He'll raise us from the dead in Christ. He'll give us the everlasting joy of forever knowing God in Christ. This is what God promises to do for us in Christ. And faith means trusting what God promises. You, you, you see all your weaknesses, all your guilt, all your sin, all your emptinesses, and you trust him to work. You trust him to do what's needed. I can't do any of it. I need you. I trust you to do it, and he will come and do it all, now and forever. That's how we get in on this. That's how we escape from being under God's curse to being under God's blessing. The moment you turn and put your trust in Jesus Christ, just like that, you are no longer under God's curse. You now are in God's blessing. You receive the promised Holy Spirit. You are a new creation, forgiven, loved, reconciled to God, having all of God's promises forever. That's what happens. So, I'm so glad you're all here. I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, today, start trusting Jesus Christ. Start trusting him today, right now. Help me, teach me, change me, forgive me. I'm going to turn from the other things I've been trusting to satisfy me, and I'm going to trust you, your promises. Fill me, satisfy me, give me that promised spirit as you promised to do, and he will. Start trusting Jesus. Or if you've been trusting Jesus, but you've drifted, return to trusting Jesus. Renew your trust in Jesus. What have you turned to to satisfy you, Leaving, turning your back on him to pursue this, which is never going to satisfy you? Right? It's lies. Look at who Jesus Christ is in his deity, in his full humanity, in his love, in his mercy, in his power, in becoming a curse for you so that you could be freed from the curse and brought into God's blessing. Renew your trust in Jesus Christ. Or maybe what you need to do is strengthen your trust in Christ because you're going through a hard season. Big trials heartbreak, difficulties at work, health, whatever it might be. Strengthen your trust in Jesus Christ. We're talking about Jesus who became a curse for you. You can trust someone who becomes a curse for you. You can trust that kind of love. 100%. So strengthen your trust in Jesus Christ. Start trusting Jesus. Renew your trust in Jesus. Strengthen your trust in Jesus. And as you do, you will be assured that you're freed from the curse of the law. You've come into the blessing of God, the blessing of Abraham, the gift of the Spirit, because of what was done for you by Jesus Christ the Messiah, the son of Abraham. That's why it's so important that Jesus is the son of Abraham. Merry Christmas. The son of Abraham has been born.
Let's stand together. I pray, Father, that right now you would change hearts in this room, that you would give people faith, that you would show some who've never owned up to the truth of who you are, you'd show them who you are in Christ. You'd show them Jesus, the son of Abraham, who became a curse to save people from the curse. Oh Lord, right now, pour out faith upon people and and strengthen faith, Lord, in people. Those who have weak faith right now, strengthen their faith. Let them see you, Jesus Christ. You became the curse for them. They have every reason to trust you. And Lord, those who need to renew their faith, those who need to come back to trusting you, strengthen them right now to turn from those other things they've been pursuing and to put their hearts back on you and trust you. We worship you. We praise you, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. Amen.